listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. In 2004, the Washington Post reported that a change in water treatment chemicals at the Washington, D.C. aqueduct four years earlier had inadvertently triggered the absorption of lead from the district's aging lead service lines and pipes into older homes. Before he played a vital role in the Flint water crisis, our next guest was also a key figure in this story, and he joins us now. Professor Mark Edwards, welcome to Detroit Today. Nice to be here. Yeah. So um, let's go back to that time in Washington, D.C. Tell us what happened uh, and what role you played in helping that community grapple with uh, a threat to clean water. It was late 2000, and they made what they thought was an innocent change to water chemistry. They changed from chlorine to chloramine in order to keep the bacteria levels low in the water. And lead started falling off the pipe. And little did we know at the time, chlorine was keeping lead on the pipe. The science on that was known by a EPA researcher, but really no one else. And so when the chlorine was removed, the lead started to fall off, and D.C. is not a state. And so the EPA has completely responsibility for the water quality problems there. There's no state Department of Environmental Quality, and, of course, the Army Corps of Engineers treats the water. And so it was a problem owned completely by the federal government. And unfortunately, they covered the problem up rather than telling the public and there were three whistleblowers who tried to alert the public from within the agencies about the dangers of the lead in water in D.C. And this was in the White House. This was in the Congress. And uh, it got covered up until early 2004 when the Washington Post got a hold of the story and moms figured out on their own that their kids were getting lead poison. So... This was a water crisis that you have been quoted as saying was about 20 to 30 times larger than Flint. There was more lead poisoning, more exposure of people. I'm not sure people really realize that, that this was a very big deal in in the nation's capital. It was, and unfortunately the agencies responsible for causing the problem were put in charge of investigating the harm done and the solutions, and frankly, they they lied. They they covered this problem up completely with falsified scientific reports, and this was very traumatic for me to observe because I believe in science and I believe in the importance of government agencies, the environmental policemen to protect us, but they were so involved in uh, causing the problem and in the cover-up, they became environmental criminals. And this this problem, the extent of it, the health harm, wasn't known until a bipartisan congressional hearing in 2010. And by that point, I'd worked on the problem for more than seven years and spent probably 30 hours a week volunteering and spending my own my family's own money to expose this. Uh, so, f- fast forward a little to Flint. Uh, what were you able to bring to the conversation about what was happening in Flint that uh, that you'd learned in in Washington D.C.? Did this make what you saw in Flint easier to get your mind around? Did it make solutions to the problem more evident to you? 
Yeah, I think so. The the most important thing was I learned you can't reason with unreasonable people, even if they are in roles of government science agencies such as EPA Reason, Region 5 or Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, and that if they've gone unscientific and if they've, you know, been involved in causing a problem, they're not good people to have on the job to admit there is a problem or expose the extent of harm done. So we didn't waste any time trying to reason with unreasonable people. We set up a web page to kind of fight this asymmetrical science war because what do you do when environmental policemen become the environmental criminal? We haven't figured out what to do with policing in communities when policemen are criminals other than body cameras and you know other things. So it's a, it's a very difficult problem to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the accountability question um, is is the one that I think ties these two crises together in a way that uh, that uh, that others don't. What did DDC do to resolve the lead in the pipes, and what happened to the people who were responsible uh, for what happened there? Um, we, we've seen that play out very specifically here in uh, in Flint in ways that have left a lot of people wanting more. Is is that same process what happened in D.C.? No, D.C. was much worse. There were thousands of kids lead poison. There was increased rates of fetal death. There were higher rates of miscarriages. And because they were so effective in covering the problem up completely, realized for six years the official U.S. government opinion was that there was no harm done, remarkably. And by the time people realized harm was done in our paper in 2009 and the congressional hearing in 2010, statutes of limitations had run out. Ultimately, only five children got any kind of financial compensation for what occurred. The rest of the city, for their exposure, got not one penny, not an apology, nothing. Uh, The people who caused this problem were actually promoted and rewarded for what they did. And in fact, they are partly responsible for what happened in Flint. And the brave whistleblowers who laid down their professional lives to tell the public about the problem were were fired. And no one ever thanked them. So that didn't that isn't how it played out in Flint. You know, the the whistleblower at EPA Miguel Del Toro was closeted, was silenced, but he was ultimately put in charge of the EPA response. Susan Hedman resigned at EPA Region 5, and at least there were people charged for what happened. That did not happen in D.C. Uh, Whether we're going to get justice in Flint, that's, I guess, in the eye of the beholder. The people most responsible for this at MDQ plea bargain to misdemeanors that will go off their record in a matter of like a year. And so that's very controversial. And at the time, I think people were hoping the special prosecutor knew what they were doing, but I'm doubtful that was the case. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Mark Edwards. We're going to talk a little more about Flint and his work there. We also want to hear from you, as we always do here on the WDET Book Club. Uh, What do you think about Mark Edwards' work in Flint? Uh, Does knowing about what happened in D.C. concern you even more when you think about what happened in Flint? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 
We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're back with Mark Edwards, who's the Virginia Tech professor who conducted the lead levels tests of the water in Flint. We're talking to him as part of our WDET Summer Book Club, in which we are reading What the Eyes Don't See by Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha, talking about water quality issues the environment, accountability, all of the things that spring from the Flint water crisis. As always, we really want to hear from you about what you're thinking about the Flint water crisis. Uh, Do you have a question for Professor Mark Edwards? And we were just talking to him about the work that he did in Washington, D.C., which had a much more dramatic water crisis before Flint. Does knowing about what happened in D.C., concern you even more when you think about what happened in Flint and what we are doing about it. How are we holding people accountable for what happened in Flint? How are we fixing the problems that unfolded? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation, um, uh, uh, Mark. I want to I want to start this segment with you talking about what led you uh, to conduct the Flint water study. Was it what happened in Washington D.C.? It was. I had been working with Miguel Del Toro, the whistleblower within EPA Region Five, who was collaborating with Leon Walters, who had the two um, twins and. One of them had elevated blood lead, and they had figured all this out on their own, and this was early in 2015, and I was trying to work behind the scenes with Miguel to let the system work, to let EPA be the hero here and do their job, and unfortunately that didn't pan out because he was retaliated against after he wrote his memo alerting the world to the fact that Flint had no corrosion control. So... At that point, we knew we were in a science war, and we launched the Flint Water Study. It was August uh, 2015. By that point, I'd been working with Leanne and Miguel for about four months. And, yeah, we we put our Freedom of Information Act requests in with Kurt Guyette, and uh, we knew that time was of the essence. And, that you know, the, the scary thing was we were just proving the obvious, and that is if you don't follow federal law, as Miguel pointed out, you're going to have high lead in water and lead poison kids. And So, yeah, we worked with the residents to sample the city and prove what should have been obvious to, to anybody. Hmm. Lead in water was high. Kids were getting hurt. So, so tell me about your initial reactions to what you were learning. I'm always really curious about how people uh, reacted when they saw that, that there was there was something wrong with the, the with the water in Flint. Well, yeah, given the experiences in D.C. and my anger that no one was held accountable in 2010, I'd been 
touring the country telling people that another Washington, D.C. was inevitable. So we were fully expecting a Flint to occur. It was just a matter of when and where. And so when it occurred, I, I wasn't surprised. We had a plan in place, and we tried to work within the system to, again, let EPA do their job and MDQ do their job. And once that failed, it was... You know, we wasted no time to to launch our science war, if you will. Yeah. Uh, in fact, on page 132 of Dr. Monet Hanna-Atisha's book, she says, in case there was any doubt about the urgency of the city's water situation, the headline of Edwards' report was bold and in all caps. If it were spoken, it would have been yelling, Flint has a very serious lead in water problems. So, I mean, it was immediately evident to you that... It was, and that was our first data. And, you know, I often say without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And so that's why we had to get that water data to prove that the claims that the water was just fine, that the state was making, were were scientifically false. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Chuck, who is in Columbus, Ohio. Chuck, welcome to the program. Hi, Stephen. Greetings hey. from down in Columbus today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you doing down there, Chuck? <laughs> oh, a little bit of business. Yeah. But uh, it, it's, uh, it's always fun to listen to the program online, which is very easy to do and, uh, and fun. <laughs> yes. No, that's um, an... I, Go ahead. I was thrilled. I told Anne-Marie I, I was thrilled that you had managed to book uh, Dr. Edwards. To me, he has always been one of the singular heroes and voices of reason in the whole um, Flint saga. Uh, he, he was one of the first to, to nail the, the cause and the effect um, with exactness and science. And um, rightly, he was, he was always viewed as a, as a hero in this from the outset. But mm. then, Dr. Edwards, I, I hope you can talk about how things turned for you, because then we got into the matter of whether we were, whether we were going to whether we were going to blame high level Republicans, um, the governor and the governor's cabinet, uh, for things that were really it was wrongdoing by low, mid level bureaucratic uh, MDEQ managers. And um, I, if I recall correctly, I think you were sort of singularly important in. Um, um, foiling the attempt to criminally prosecute um, high-level officials who really had no knowledge of this and had mm. nothing to do with with the wrongdoing. It's a, it's a really important mm. point to me politically because you're on a program today where much of the talk about Flint is political and it's about emergency managers and Republicans doing this and that. Yeah. Uh, Chuck, I really appreciate uh, the call, and, and I'm looking forward to hearing uh, Dr. Edwards respond to what you're saying there. Yeah, I've, I've often said that, unfortunately, science is, is being used as just another weapon of tribal warfare, unfortunately. It's one of the reasons that science is, you know, under siege right now. And it takes courage to rise above that. It takes courage to tell the truth and to provide facts to people who want to create an alternative narrative. And you can't take that personally. You know, as a scientist, um, being punished for speaking and seeking the truth is 
just goes with the territory. And so we've been attacked by all sides. We were attacked by the state when we exposed the problem. We were attacked by other people when our Freedom of Information Act request revealed who was responsible. We were attacked by still other people when our data showed that after FEMA got involved, the water quality was improving, and they didn't want to see it improving. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's you know, the important thing is, as a scientist is you got to explain what the data shows and put it out there. And uh, the reality is that we're a post-truth society because, frankly, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. Yeah. And that applies to all sides. So one of the things, though, I think that's important to remember is that when you talk about responsibility, and I think there's a difference between responsibility and blame, uh, but when you talk about responsibility for this, it is true that, of course, there were some uh, low-level uh, people in the Department of Environmental Quality who made decisions that were not based on the science that uh, that was available at the time, and they made that mistake. But I think when we talk about at the senior level, at the in the governor's office and other places, the, the accountability is about policy, and it's about policy setting that led to these kinds of decisions uh, taking place without science as uh, the, the motivator and with money as the thing that people had their eyes on. And I think I, I, I don't think um, I, I don't think you have to, to to sort of choose between those two kinds of accountability as it was in Washington, D.C. There are different levels of that accountability. Would you would you agree with that? I would, except I would point out that the problems that Flint experienced are occurring all around the country. In the aftermath of Flint, we, we found dozens of other cities who were cheating, and as occurred in D.C., and it's occurring still to the present day. And I think what's unusual about Flint is that the bad actors got caught breaking federal law, failing to use corrosion control, and interestingly enough, that people cared. And the policies behind it are one of the key reasons why people cared. Why is it that Flint uh, became Flint and the dozens of other communities who had children exposed to elevated lead and water had harm or breaking federal law? Frankly, they never got the headlines. Mm -hmm. uh, again, Chuck, I really appreciate the call. And the thoughts there. Uh, let's go to George in Pleasant Ridge. George, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning. Hey, mm -hmm. I've got a question about the science more than the politics of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I've been following the Flint situation closely. And, uh, and in Pleasant Ridge and so many areas, we all have lead lines. Uh, I was worried at first, but, you know, I've learned that properly treated water will not le leach lead. I've also had my water checked and it does not have elevated level levels. Uh, but then this past week, uh, the fact that Highland Park seems to have a problem, uh, what gives with that? They're on the same water system as us, and isn't it properly treated? Hmm. Great question. Highland Park, uh, they changed their water source. They did not do a corrosion control study. Extremely high lead resulted. It's, it's just what I said. It's the exact same thing that happened in Flint. Um, except for, you know, it, it hasn't yet gotten the headlines for what happened. But, no, corrosion control uh, was not implemented correctly in, in Highland Park when they switched their water source. 
And and this gets to your assertion that this is a problem that can crop up anywhere. I mean, you have all of these aging infrastructures uh, that that require, if you're going to keep using them, extra measures. And you don't always have people in place who, who understand that you've got to do that. Indeed. And one example is Portland, Oregon, who has broken the law openly for the last 15 years and has had led above the action level and People have complained, and and no one seems to do anything about it. And so that's a good example. And I think one of the reasons that you know people people don't care as much is because it's an affluent city, and uh, if they want to go and poison themselves, it's you know kind of up to them. But EPA's look been looking the other way on that one for 15 years. Uh, let's go to Dan in Detroit. Dan, welcome to Detroit. I've got about a minute left. Are you there, uh, Dan? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, how's uh, how's Detroit's water? Well, uh, Detroit has a lot of lead pipes. They've always stayed on, you know, Lake Huron water and maintained their corrosion control. And I think they could do a little bit better. Um, obviously, the concerns about lead in water are increasing after Flint. So what seemed like it was acceptable levels of lead yesterday or, you know, a few years ago are no longer considered acceptable. Hmm. And so I, I think they can do better. Uh, they probably will do better uh, in terms of corrosion control. But, you know, they, they never had the problem that, that Flint had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, Mark Edwards, uh, Virginia Tech professor who conducted the lead levels test of the water in Flint. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow, and we're going to talk about a very famous computer-generated lion family that's coming to a theater near you this weekend. And last week, news broke that The Little Mermaid will be an African-American. We'll delve into the world of Disney remakes and ask whether these films are living up to the hype or should be left alone and not remade at all. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.